0: In the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul writes a letter to the church in Ephesus to give some encouragement to them. And he says it this way. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. For Paul, this is fighting language. For Paul, he is aware that in the midst of the struggles of that early church, in the midst of all that they are trying to do and see God do in their midst, that there is a battle all around them. And Paul understands that that battle isn't a battle that's us versus them. It's not a battle of the Jews versus the Gentiles. It's a much bigger battle. It's a spiritual battle. He describes it as against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world. See, Paul understands that there is a battle going on and all throughout the scriptures. We see the Bible describing a battle, a battle that the Bible describes as against an enemy or the Bible also describes this enemy as the Satan or the the devil or uh, my favorite description is simply the liar. And we can see all throughout the scriptures the descriptions of how the enemy works and his tactics in the battle. And sometimes it's easy for us when we think about the enemy we think of like, we think of like our pictures and the stories maybe we've read growing up of Jesus casting out the demons or we, th- we think of those scenes like in, in the movies um, with, 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 of, or something like an exorcism when in reality often the way the devil is working is simply the lies he speaks into your mind. That for many of us that is the primary way we experience the work of the enemy, that he lies to us. He lies about who we are. He lies about what is good and evil, what is right and wrong. See, we live our lives in a battle. For some of us, we're very aware of that battle. We, we've experienced the battle. We've experienced being bloodied and beaten and bruised. And so, no, we don't, we don't need you to tell us there's a battle. We are fully aware We've experienced it, and we have experienced the pain of it. Now, for others of us, maybe we've experienced the battle, but we've never thought of attributing it to the work of an enemy. Like, we've experienced the pain and loss and heartache, yet we've never really thought, oh, maybe that there's something under the surface of much of what I experienced. Maybe there's something underneath the experience of polarization and division and broken relationships, and for others of us, maybe we've never even, it never even crossed our mind that there's a battle. Maybe we've never thought about a battle between good and evil, between God and an enemy. Maybe for us, we're in a season where things aren't that bad. And so for us, we just don't really think about the battle much. Regardless of where you find, there is a battle going on that we are in a battlefield, a battle arena of sorts. That battle's not against people or ideologies. It's a battle against a spiritual enemy a spiritual enemy who loves to lie, to lie to us as a culture, to lie to the world, to lie uh, to to us individually, who often lives in our own heads rent-free. There's a line in a speech by Teddy Roosevelt that I love, speaking to battles, and he says, It's not the critic who counts. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming. If he fails, at least he fails daring greatly." I believe for us as followers of Jesus, this is the calling of Jesus, to dare greatly. And the enemy is a liar who will criticize. He will criticize every move. We live in a world who maybe you even experience the criticism of of your choices and how you try to live the kind of life and faithfulness that we as followers of Jesus are fighting for. There will be those who are quick to point out when you stumble and fall, suggesting how dare you call yourself somebody who is fighting for the name of Jesus, there will be those who try to throw punches, marring your face with blood and dust, all because there's an enemy, an enemy who would rather us cower in fear than fight back, who would rather us not fight at all, not follow Jesus down the paths that he takes us. Today, we're beginning a new series called Battle Stories. The goal in this series is to look at the battle stories, the war stories in the Bible, to look at the warriors of the Bible. But one of the interesting things about the way the Bible describes warriors is it's often not the way you and I think of warriors. The things that make somebody strong for battle are not always the things that God requires for strength for battle. The ways that God uses a warrior to fight in the battle is not always the way that we think a warrior would fight in a battle. And so we're going to use these stories, some of them classic stories of warriors like David and Gideon and Elisha. And it will even give us perspective for our own battles. And ultimately, in their war stories, it points us to the warrior of all warriors. The one who goes into a battle on our behalf and wins a fight that we couldn't fight. So today we're going to open up to 1 Samuel 17 with a classic underdog story. Even if you have no background in the church, if you're watching online and you really have never really done the whole church thing, this is one of those stories that you you at least are familiar with the metaphor of David versus Goliath, even if you aren't familiar with what happens in the story. And so we're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'm going to begin in verse 1. We'll very quickly read through the first 11 verses, and then I'll give a little bit of a summary and jump later in the story. It begins this way in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socah and Judah. They pitched camp at Ephesdamim Ephes between Socah and Ezekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. So the scene here is set up. You have the Israelites on one side, a valley where they would battle in the middle, and then the Philistines on the other hill. Verse 4 tells us then, there was a champion named Goliath who was from Gath. He came out of the Philistine camp. He was over 9 feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So it gives this picture, right, you have the Israelites on one side, you have the Philistines on the other, and in the middle you have Goliath. And Goliath is like beyond a man's man, beyond the picture of like what a warrior would look like. And it describes him like he's huge, he is strong, he is intimidating, he is scary, and he's equipped with the best armor, the best weaponry. It continues, Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day, I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So this battle is taking place. The Israelites and the Philistines, all the Israelites are terrified when they see Goliath. And so Goliath is there and he is big. He has the weaponry. They are intimidated now, notice what it says in verse 8. This is very interesting in the story because most of us, when we think of wars, right, you think of one side versus another side. You don't think of one person versus another person. And so this battle, though, is different. This is not all the Israelites rush into the valley and all the Philistines rush into the valley where they all take, the other, uh, take each other out. In verse 8, it says, choose one man to come down here and fight me. Now, this is what the, what the Greeks called single combat, This was common in the day of David and Goliath, that they would actually have a one-v-one battle. Each side would choose one person, send them in the middle, and they would fight it out. What it would do, it actually would prevent a lot of bloodshed. So not all the Israelites would die, or not all the Philistines would die. Just one person die, but you still have a battle. You still have a winner and a loser. You still have the consequences of the battle, but everybody else just kind of stands and watches. Each side chooses one representative to go into the battle And have the fight. And so this is what Goliath is asking for. He wants wants single combat. David versus Goliath is a single combat battle. If Goliath wins, the Philistines win. If the representative, the Israelites choose, if he wins, they win. He wanted each group uh, of people to have their representative come into the valley and solve The problem. Now, to continue, I want to actually jump to verse 32, but just to catch us up, because in verse 32, David has already been introduced into the story. He is the youngest of eight, the text tells us. He has three older brothers who are in the army. So when the text tells us the Israelites were there terrified and dismayed, watching this all go down, David's three older brothers are there. They're on the line. They're terrified to fight. And so David is running back and forth. He's not in the army. He's just a boy. And he is going and he's helping take care of the sheep. And he's bringing food for his brothers as they stand and wait this, for this battle. And David, because he's going back and forth, he sees and he hears what Goliath is doing. He hears the claims. He hears the taunting of the army of Israel. David is is angry that, that, that Goliath defies his God. That for him, it's not just about the people, it's about... What he says about his God. And so I want to pick it up in verse 32. This is where things really begin to get interesting. In verse 32 it says this. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight for him. And fight him. So David shows up. He said, I'll do it. Like no one else will do it. I'm going to fight. Now Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. He has been fighting a fighting man from his youth. Like why would you do something so dumb? Like, David, you're small, you're just a boy, you have older brother. Like, why, why do you think you can actually do something here? David said to Saul, though, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, which is, you almost picture like he is a young kid making a taunt at that point. Like he's just a kid saying, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so Saul's like, I mean, if, if we're going to keep arguing, I, like, I, I guess I'll give in. So Saul says to David, go and the Lord be with you. Verse 38 tells us, so Saul gives him some armor. David, he, he dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he's not used to them. David says, I cannot go in these because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Now let's pause there for a minute, because I think there are some things we can learn about our own battles as we look to the life and the battle that David faces in this moment. And now there's something to say about this that in a lot of ways we're really not a lot like David. David goes into this battle that for most of us, most of the time we're probably a lot more like the Israelites who are terrified and dismayed and we're on the, on the sidelines watching. But there is a reality that when God asks us to follow him, Being a disciple of Jesus means we imitate Jesus, we follow Jesus wherever he takes us, which means he takes us and leads us into battle. And just like Jesus is the son of David, we also then can find some even ways in our own life where we are imitating David and how he responds in faith to Yahweh to protect and fight for him in this battle. And so David makes some profound warrior-defining statements. And when I say warrior-defining, it's the kind of warrior-defining that God describes as warrior-defining. Not the way we might describe the strength or the courage of a warrior, but the kind of warrior that God is looking for. The first statement he makes that is really incredible to me, in verse 37, he says, The Lord, who rescued me from the claws of the lion and bear, will rescue me from, from this Philistine. So there's something incredible about this and it's so easy to overlook this statement because we really get fixated on the giant, right? We get we get fixated on Goliath. He's huge, but who who wins a fight against a bear and a lion? Like that's an impressive resume. Like you don't outrun a lion. Like like have you ever realized how fast lions are? There's a reason why they are the apex predators. If you try to run from a lion, you are eaten by a lion. You don't win against a lion. You don't win against a bear. But David, when he's talking to Saul, he's like, let me tell you what God's already done. Let me tell you what I've been up against. And so David does something incredible that I think we should all do. Instead of looking forward at the giant he's up against, he looks backward to what God's already done. See, if you want to know if you can win, look backwards to the battles you've already won. Because God loves to do it again. God loves to do what he's already done. And so instead of, see what happens, where does worry come? Does worry come from looking backwards or looking forward? It comes when we look forward. So we, we look and we think, all right, I, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to do about this thing that's supposed to happen at, at work in a week. I don't know like, what I'm, how we're going to fix this problem in my marriage. I don't know what I'm going to do about the sickness. We look forward in fear and anxiety and worry and we get stuck in that place. But what if instead in those battles that we are walking into, what if instead of looking forward, we look back? Because looking back gives us confidence. Because if God could do that, he can do this. If God got me through that, he can get me through this. If God got me through once, he can do it again and again and again. When you look forward... The battle always feels overwhelming. When you look forward, the diagnosis always feels impossible. The grief and pain always seems unsurvivable. But when you look backwards, your perspective changes. Because God's been faithful. Because God's been good, because God's given you the strength, because God's rescued you once. See, when you look back, you are no longer relying on your ability to combat what you fear. But instead, you are reminded of the faithfulness of God in every battle you face. And so David does that. He looks back. He looks back and he says, I've been in battles before. And if, if he's done it once, we can do it again. And so Saul gives in and he gives him some armor. Now, I love how David responds to the armor. Verse 39, he says, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. Which is just, like, who cares if you're used to them? Like, they're going to protect you against a giant. Like, have you seen as well? Does it matter that he's not used to them? But see, here's what Saul was trying to do. Saul was trying to equip David to be more like Goliath. Saul thought, well, if I can give him my helmet, if I can give him my javelin, if I can give him my armor, well, at least he'll be able to be more prepared for this fight that he's sure to lose. Saul wants David to go into battle fighting like Goliath. And David says, I can't fight like Goliath. David goes into battle as David. He he can't go into battle with the armor that's too heavy, this javelin that's not his own. And so he does what he's always done. He does what he knows. He simply is who God created him to be. Like, he's, he's a shepherd boy. He knows how to take care of his sheep. He knows how to protect his sheep. So what's he do? He does what he did before. He grabs stones. He grabs five stones. He throws them in his pouch, and he starts getting ready to battle. Here's a truth that you need to know for your battles. You can't win a battle by trying to be who you're not. Some of us are trying to fight battles, but we're trying to be someone else. We're trying to, we, we look to somebody else and say, I, I need to be more like them. I need to fight the way the world says I should fight. And the world says this is good. When the world says, like, well, if you're not happy in your marriage, get out. And so we saying, oh, that's how I need to fight. I need to fight for me. And what does God say how we fight? See, some of us need to fight by being who we really are and by doing what God calls us to do. You can't win a battle by trying to be who you're not. If David tried to be Goliath, he wouldn't beat Goliath. He would have been destroyed. Like Goliath wanted a hand on hand combat. He wanted David right in front of him. But David didn't let someone else tell him who he was supposed to be in battle, even even Saul. He didn't fight the way the enemy wants him to fight. He didn't fight the way Goliath wanted him to fight. He didn't fight the way the world wanted him to fight. He didn't fight the way all the Israelites who are wanting wanted him to fight. And so listen to how Goliath re- responds in this scene. It's, it's interesting how da- Goliath responds. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. Now there's a reason why he's coming closer to David because he's ready to fight one v one hand-on-hand. Like they are going to get close so he can swing a sword, so he can throw a javelin. Like he's ready for a close-up battle. David, though, doesn't come for a close-up battle. And so in verse 41, it's, it says he is coming closer and closer to David. He looks David over and saw he's only a boy, ruddy and handsome. He despised him, says to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds and of the air and the beasts of the field. Why does Goliath say come here? Because that's the fight that the enemy was fighting. But Goliath wasn't ready for David to be David. And so David's a long-range slinger like he's done that before he puts the and that's not like a wimpy weapon we think of it like a kid's toy like this is the equivalent of like firing a bullet like that's how David goes into this battle David goes into the battle fighting the fight he was prepared to fight that God when David was killing the lion God already had Goliath in mind Some of you are walking into a season where you feel the fight what you need to know is God already prepared you for this fight years ago And so David is in this fight. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. He's insulted by Goliath. He says, this day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And I leave that in there just for you parents. Make sure you include that for your little boys. Like They love that part of the story. But David makes this incredible statement. David knows what, he's, what battles he's been in before. He knows what God's gotten him out of before. He knows who God asked him to be. And then he knows above all who is really fighting this battle. He says this is whose battle? The Lord's battle. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. What's the battle that you're in right now? What's the arena that you feel like you're in where you feel like you've been losing? Where you feel like you could point out the scars? Where do you need to be reminded that this is the Lord's battle? And that doesn't mean you're not in the arena. Like David was actually on the battlefield. Yeah, on that battlefield, he used his gifts and his experience and the presence of God to do what he never dreamed possible. The Lord Fights for you. He asks that you be you. In the battle you're up against. Be who God made you to be. David, David, the name David actually means beloved. So when David heads into the battle, he knows he is the beloved of God. David knows he's a warrior, but he knows he's not a warrior like Goliath's a warrior. And so David knows who he is, and brings that with him into the battle. Who does Jesus say that you are? You are a beloved child of God. You are forgiven by God, redeemed by God. Carry that with you into the battle. Because when you know who you are, you can take your experiences, you can take all that you've been through, and you can bring it with you. Now now that, that language of, The Lord fighting for you is interesting language because that's the same language that Goliath uses. Like earlier when Goliath says, now choose for me who will fight for you. That's the language, that's representative language. Goliath says, choose who's going to represent you in this battle. Exodus also uses the same language when it describes God. In Exodus 14, it says, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. In other words, the Lord will fight as a representative for you, doing what you can't do for yourself. See, there's a reason why Jesus is called the son of David. There's a reason why, just like David is the beloved of God, God speaks over Jesus in his baptism, this is my beloved son, or the son of David. That Jesus, as the son of David, heads into the arena, ready to be in a fight, to fight as a representative for you, to win the fight that you can't win. So just like for Goliath, if David loses, they lose. If David wins, they win. The same truth is true of us knowing Jesus. If Jesus wins, we all win. Now in Psalm 18, David writes some incredible fighting words that I want to use to just be words that really inspire us. Words that almost in a sense are a prayer for us as that, that carry us into this series. Because in this series, we want you to know that in the battle, I need to know who I am. I need to know where my strength comes. And I need to know what God is doing. And so David, the psalmist, writes these words about the strength of a warrior God who equips him for war. Who equips him for a battle. A battle that Paul describes not against flesh and blood, but is a battle against a spiritual enemy. And so David writes it this way. It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. In other words, when you don't feel like you have the strength to do it, when you don't feel like you are strong enough, when you don't think you are equipped or prepared, God is the one who gives you the strength. He is the one who makes the way perfect. You don't have the perfect path, you don't know the perfect way. God has the perfect way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. David says, He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, He enables me to stand on the heights. In other words, for David, David says, I move because God has equipped me to move. I'm able to stand in high places, places of fear because God has given me the courage. I don't believe that David went into that battle without fear. I believe David went into the battle against Goliath facing his fear. And I believe that because all throughout the book of Samuel, as we see the life of David, we see David is a lot like us. And maybe he had the confidence to go in this battle and have faith that God would do what he does. But he's often also in hiding. And so David says, no, he enables me to stand on the heights. He enables you to fight the battle. There are battles that you face that you think, I don't know if I could face that. God gives you the courage to face it. He trains your hands for battle. He says, my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory. That God gives you a shield because he's already won. Right? We can have confidence because we know the end of the story. And it says, your right hand sustains me. When you are too tired, like this battle has gone on too long, he is giving you strength. He's sustaining you. It says, you stooped down to make me great. You armed me with strength for battle, and you made my adversaries bow at my feet. Whatever battle you're in right now, know that that the enemy will bow at your feet. And not because of your strength, but because they bow at the feet of the warrior who stands in your place. The enemy falls down flat because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, because the Lord already fights for you. Your identity... Who Jesus says you are, who you bring with you into the battle, that's already been given to you. His victory determined your identity. You are forgiven. You are beloved. You are rescued. You are outrageously loved. Jesus, as the son of David, did what you couldn't do for yourself, and he speaks to you who he says you are. And so know who you are. Be who God says you are. Bring that with you into the battle because that is 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 why David can write, It is God who arms me with strength. Because David didn't prepare for that moment, God prepared him for that moment. And there is a security and a power that you can bring with you into the arena because God has made you a warrior. He's given you courage to dare greatly. And yeah, you'll be criticized. As you dare greatly, people will question the way you're going. And you will fall. You will sin and you'll fall short because you're not the warrior. You are a warrior. But as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in us. The same spirit that gave Jesus victory carries us into battle. And so may we be people who dare greatly because the battle's already been won. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for being a God who loves us, for being a God who calls us his own. Jesus, we thank you that you fight for us. We thank you that for the battles that we're facing, that you have prepared us for these battles a long time ago. We, help, we pray that you would just give us confidence in these battles. That you would remind us who we are. That you would remind us of who you call us. And Jesus, as we just pray and speak to you, I ask that you would show us the ways you've been faithful to us. Bring to our hearts and our minds moments in our own life where you've already been faithful. Show us the ways you have walked with us and never left us. Remind us of what you've done. And Jesus, knowing those things, Jesus, would you do it again? Do what you love to do. Fight for us. And Jesus, would you remind us who we are? Would you speak to us words in our heart and our mind that remind us of how you see us not of who the world asks us to be not of who our own sinful flesh tries to draw us into not of the lies the enemy speaks to us but Jesus who do you say that we are To an identity that maybe is in their own fears. Jesus, I pray that you would just give them an identity of peace. That, that, that they would feel your presence in your peace knowing they are who you say you are. Jesus, for those who are just regretting their sins and the ways they've gone off track, Jesus, that they would be given an identity of healing and redemption. For those who are battling addictions, Jesus, I pray that their identity would be found in freedom. For those who are grieving, Jesus, I pray that there would be that they would be filled with joy that can't be explained. Jesus, you tell us that you will fight for us. We only need to be still, and so may we be still and listen and hear who you say we are.